welcome to uh, uh, Lurch and Other Bugs. My name is Jed. My name's Debesh. How's it going, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm I'm well. It's it's finals week, and uh, I think, yeah. So it's looking and like. So- I don't want to. It's looking like it might be um, me versus you in round two of the uh, fantasy football playoffs. I know. I think so. Is that how it's panning out? It's, I didn't really look at the brackets you, yet. So far, I think it's going to be you versus Kipper. Yeah. And then and uh, then I play you next if I win. Yep. Which I probably will. Ooh. Oh man! <laughs> Shots fired. I need you to. I need you to take a dive, bro. I need money. <laughs> I need you to, like, how much, how much, how much, what if I split it with you to take the dive? I'll do it, man. Just make sure nobody else knows about it. Well, now everyone's going to know. I mean, okay, so we're, wink, wink, we're not, oh, wait, I mean, just look look at me, wink. We are not going to rig the playoffs. No. Not, I have no idea close. what you're talking about. Um, so I really wanted that bye week, though. You're getting it, but I really wanted that bye well, week. I but... earned it, bitch. Dude. I did. No. I earned it, son. <laughs> I earned it. Um, so we got a new patron, Rich Maggio. Dude, that's a cool name. It is. Rich Maggio. Dang. Like, hey, I would totally... Rich Maggio. Rich Maggio, hey, like I would totally buy like a lot of drugs from you back in the day. Rich Maggio, yeah. <laughs> it's a good rap name. It's a good uh, right. drug dealer name. It's a good CEO name, right? Mr. Maggio, the Patreon name. Patreon name. <laughs> I like it. So, Rich, thank you for your name for blessing us with your your beautiful moniker and your uh, financial gift, and enjoy the bonus episodes. You can't nod. People can't hear nods. Well, they they get a sense of when I'm nodding. They do not, dude. (laughs) So, in interesting news, did you hear the Darknet dealers have banded together and decided on their own to quit selling to quit selling fentanyl and carfentanil? What? Yeah. Isn't that so huge? When, when did that happen? Uh, like last week. So, so it, historically, they have not sold um, high volume killing weapons uh, like bombs, explosives, and uh-huh. um, what was the other one? Maybe. So they have they have like a code amongst themselves. Well, and, and it's it's for practical reasons, just because it brings the heat on. So if you yeah, sell bombs, yeah, yeah. the government's more likely to crack down on it. And so, so there's no morality here. Okay, it's just a, making... you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the morality of it doesn't. I make mean, I don't, sense. I don't even care. Like, I'm just glad they're stopping. But I yeah, just yeah, it's it's. I mean, yeah. it's. I guess it's a good thing, but it's also sad yeah. that fentanyl has become as deadly as like C4. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's like so. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's it, we have, it's driven the death rate, or it's wait, it's driven it up. Oh it's yeah, like crazy, like huge, huge man. Um, well, goddamn, I wish they would have done this like a month ago, so Jimmy would still be alive. Uh, it's fucking sad. Yeah, we we lost another one of our friends. Yeah, this has been a really really terrible year. It's been a horrible year, it's man. Been a it's for like. That. I feel like I was saying this last year, like, 
What else we bad might. could happen until December 30th, you know, December 31st? It's, it's, well, and that's why, oh, and the other, I mean, this, this, these success stories, so I really want to thank, um, Kenan and Scott and Megan and some people in the congregation, uh, for reaching out to Brad. Um, we got him into treatment. Yeah, so Brad awesome. in treatment, wow. dude. So Everybody came together, and that's so yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it literally made a difference. Like, he said that, so, I mean, I'll kind of tell us. He, I don't think yeah. he will mind. He'll tell it when he gets out. But yeah. what happened was he said he listened to the podcast episode, and he was like, damn it, like, I sound terrible. But he said terrible. he got really depressed, and that night <laughs> he went and tried to buy heroin. Wow. And he was going to shoot it up, and he got ripped off. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? The dude just took his money and ran. Wow, thank and, God. Because, man, know. who knows if that was some car fentanyl, dude. It'd just be dead, I mean. yeah. Done, bro. Especially if you go from a place of not using for a while to... I mean, I don't even know how tolerance works with car fentanyl. It probably doesn't even apply the same rules no, on pro. it, it would have been... Even, 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 even just dope could have taken you. yeah that's true that's you true know, if you haven't true. used in two Useful. years and then you just especially and like he had said that like i was kind of in the mindset of like you know i might die but whatever like whatever Oof. so yeah, yeah i was like dude god you know you you were literally just granted mm-hmm. a mulligan yeah yeah for real because it was fun and i told him my story of um one of the relapses i had um I totally got the same thing where like I was at a gas station and this dude walked up and he was like, Hey, you want a Roxy? And I was like, yeah. And I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I gave him 30 bucks and it was like my last 30 bucks. And, um, yeah. I drove off and I unwrapped it and it was like a freaking like emodium. Oh, and I was man. like, damn. And that was my chance to where I was like, I could have got out then, man. But I, I went and yeah. bought some anyway. And, that happened to me at like a year, maybe a year, year and a half of my like sobriety, you know, when I was just like dry. <laughs> and like and like I went I was at a music festival and I was with somebody and she was like, Oh, I'm trying to find some LSD. He's like, Will you help me out? You're really good at like finding dope and drugs. I'm like, fuck man, I'm like, fine. So like I find some and I just end up taking like first guy I ask, you know. And we got ripped off. I mean, it was probably just an index card or some shit, you know. <laughs> and then I was just like, nah. I was like, I'm counting this as a relapse. <laughs> like, yeah, that that was kind of, I was like, in my mind, I was like, I already did it. So I, like, I might as well, I, I'm, I'm sure as hell not going to not get high. Right. Now, yeah, exactly. Like, the intention was already there. So, like, yeah, as soon as I got home from that festival, I was just like, I was, yeah, I was gone. Did, um... <laughs> Also, did you see that um, they did uh, a study and they conclusively found out that 13 reasons why led to an increase in teen suicide? Wait, so well, how did they how do they control for that though? I don't. So, so I'm not. Uh, that's a good study. question. I don't have the study in front of me, but or no, what a. Cause I mean, how do you? How do you? It might not have been su. It, it might have been suicide attempts, and they interviewed the people. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not making. I see your face though. I'm not making this up. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just. It's it's like an inside joke that I probably shouldn't. Like. But no, it, it, it. 
Well, it's just like, well, how do you, if somebody's already committed to, I mean, how, yeah, do, how, you, do, you, how do you, how do you know? <laughs> okay, let me stop. Oh, 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 here's what it was. Here, here's what okay. it was. Um, okay. it, um, it sparked a, uh, triggered a spike in google searches about suicide oh like google how to searches suicide. of suicide oh okay 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 yep. and dude and that's why in their second season they were just like you know if you need resources yada 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 go here go here and that's like dude i just that show it was the weirdest thing i hated the show but i i had to keep watching every single episode just to find out what happened but like I, I, I was just like, it. yeah, it was it was just so millennially. Like I just, I just don't like these things, man. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> not, it's not. It's not. It's there's such an air of entitlement and like, and like just like I'm smarter than everyoneness, and it's like it's just like there's just such an air of like no humility that i've seen in like shows like that yeah, or like and, and it's like it, the main character in sabrina like i don't like she just fits that description to the t too i don't it's like, like depression porn too or like narcissism yeah. porn like yeah yes yes exactly whack, dude. Stuff whack. and apparently they had like before they did the 13 reasons why show they consulted psychologists uh being like hey is this going to be harmful and the psychologists yeah. apparently were like Yes, and they're like, yes. okay, but like, we're gonna do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> we already spent all this money, so yeah. So thanks for your input, but we're just gonna <laughs> go for it anyway. <laughs> um, so we're gonna get to uh the interview with Debesh's fabulous fiance. Yes, Maddie let's get to it, Jackson. Um, about her yeah. story and a new um, uh, a new career path she has chosen in her life. Uh, it's a great story, and we're finally getting some more female voices on the show. It's not for lack of trying, Plus, people. It just it just doesn't it just hasn't shifted out that way. So, if y'all know any more awesome female voices? Bad start. I'm just kidding. Oh God, Jed. Let's not do that. I'm just kidding. I did that on purpose. I was trying to find the most awkward way to start it out. Um, Maddie Jackson, one of uh for some reason we don't get many females on here. 
I mentioned that to Devesh. I'm like, I want to do this because I think, what, were there two women on there? And one that you recently did, there was like a, the little intro part. There was a woman that came on and said how much she loved the show. Yeah. No, I think there's been, there's been like four compared to other pod. Like, it seems like there's not many uh, women on, well, that's a massively broad statement, but uh, it seems like there are less women guests. I don't know why that is. Yeah, I will say well, one of the podcasts that I listen to a lot is Dax Shepard's podcast, um, which he I feel like he may even have more women on there than men. I could be off on that or it's pretty evenly split. But um, but that's not to say I have a wide range of podcasts. I think I probably listen to about two or three. Um, well, but there, yeah, I think it's exciting. And there's a well, there's a ton of really good women comedians right now, too, which I imagine mm-hmm. that's what's on Dax's. Yeah, he had. Yep, he has. Um, and his co-host is also a woman, which is interesting too. He had Brene Brown on there, which was pretty cool. Is, is it? Is it his wife? Is that his co-host? No, it's I. I forget her name, and I'm not even. I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, so I'm not even going to try and butcher it. But she is, I guess, like a family friend or something. But she's Indian, and which is cool. Um, and so they, yeah, they host it together. That's I think that's like one of my favorite power couples is Dak Shepard and Kristen Kristen uh, Bell. Yeah, yeah, it's well, it's interesting because they're so different. Yes, and Dax is kind of like the wild card, and she's more of the like he's like under control. I don't know if Debesh just talked about, but like under control, impulsive, and she's more of the like over control structure, or like let's run it back out here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so you are. Uh, oh, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Where are you at now? I am in Oregon, and I live in Beaverton, which is right outside Portland. I uh, moved here, I guess, about two years ago. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning. I'm Devesh's fiance. Um, hey, hey. So we moved together. Yeah, we moved together, and um, I got sober in Lafayette, Louisiana. It was not my first attempt at getting sober. I tried to get sober in New Orleans before that. Um, it was a bust. I was also not ready. And, yeah, I grew up on the East Coast and moved down south when I was 17. Wait, which part of the East Coast? I'm from Delaware. Oh, that's right. That's right. See, I yeah. never – I consider that East Coast to me is like Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina. And then everything above oh is like no. north. Well, yeah, northeast. Yeah. Well, east coast, yeah. But yeah, yeah but, when I think of the east, I don't think of those states at all. Yeah, and whenever I hear people talking about east coast, they're always talking about like New York and like Delaware and DC mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I'm just, I never made that connection for some reason. Yeah, couple fun facts about Delaware if you're interested, which I'm sure you are. Very, uh, very. The whole state has one area code, so it's 302. <laughs> Wow. And it takes about uh, an hour and a half to drive from top to bottom of the state. So that is tiny. How many people live there? Seven. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, six I now no that idea. you move. But you know, Delaware is a pretty cool place to grow up because I mean, it's so close to everything like Baltimore, DC, New York City. Um, we have a beach. You know, no sales tax. We have a, I mean, a huge, a big university there. So there's no sales tax. Yep, just like Oregon. <clears throat> what? But does the price like reflect that? Yeah. So, so like when like, I so when I drive up to McDonald's and I'm like, "Can I have a dollar fry, please?" It's I give them one dollar. 
Oh, what? So it's not like more expensive? No. Mm-mm. Oh, what the hell? But we have higher taxes and everything else. So oh, okay. like property and all. Of, I mean, that's kind of how it balances out. So which do you, how's your experience been in the uh, Pacific Northwest? How has it been? It's been rough. Yeah. It's been really rough. Um, it was a huge, you know, moving from Delaware down south, because I went to a big southern university, that was culture shock. Um, but it was easier for me to integrate into that culture more quickly, I, I feel, because the South is more open. Um, so going from being down South for 10 years and then moving out to the West Coast, it was, again, culture shock. And it was a, it was harder to navigate um, because people seemed really nice, but there was something off about it, like some kind of disconnect between the niceness that they were giving out and what I felt like was underneath. And I think a good example of that is like <clears throat> when I moved here, I would go to the same meeting like every week and there would be somebody the first time I went to the meeting, there was a greeter and she's like, oh, my gosh, like, it's so nice to meet you. I'm blah, blah, blah. What's your name? And we'd have like a five minute conversation. But every time I was going, it was the same thing. It was like she was not remembering that we shared. Oh, nice. So, like, you know, down south, I feel like I go to a meeting. Someone's like, oh, I totally remember you. You were wearing, you know, that shirt last week. It's so nice to see you again. It's like people remember. So it feels authentic. Out here, it's like. It's a yeah, canned already, response. Yeah, we had this conversation ten times. I already know your name. Like, get away from me, you know. Did Did so. you ever make any friends there? Oh, yeah. it's a It took a minute. And it didn't help because when I moved here, so depression's a really big part of my story, even in sobriety. And so I tend to, uh, I have an A-type personality as well, so I tend to throw myself into work and, I mean, I'm a workaholic and I can definitely use tools of the program to hide behind. And so when we left Lafayette, I mean, I was sponsoring a ton of women. I was working a lot. I had 10,000 things going on that when we moved, you remove all those external things, I was left with myself and it was this overwhelming depression episode. Oh, man. it was kind of a, it was a rough start, but my feet were trained really well. And, um, so I I knew the things that I had to do. So I did them and it took a little longer to make friends, but I can say that I have a pretty solid connection and support group out here now. It just took longer. How much longer do y'all have out there? Like two years? That is like the million dollar question. (laughs) Uh, I feel like every time I ask the best, it's a different answer. Um, (laughs) And a lot of it is a lot of it is dependent upon too, like um, you know where he applies for like internship and postdoc. He doesn't really have much control over. So it could be out here, it could be in Idaho, it could be in North Carolina. Like I don't know, you know, like the system kind of pairs him up with where he needs to go. So I always I, I always thought Idaho was just potato country, but apparently that's a gorgeous, like awesome place to live. I don't know because we drove through Idaho, but see the parts of Idaho that we drove through, we drove through Boise, which is actually a a pretty big city. I don't know why. I just had this idea of Boise was like Bohunk or something, even though it was like a huge, it was, isn't it the capital? Yeah. Boise. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. 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 So when we drove through that, it was, I mean, it was a pretty packed city and, and I think we ended up staying a night there, but it was like kind of a you know, just a rest stop type town. So I didn't, I don't, I don't feel like I have a genuine, authentic reflection of what Idaho is all about. We kind of just drove through it. Well, let's, um, let's get to your story then. Yeah. So, okay. So I, um, so I already mentioned I grew up on the East coast. Um, 
you know, for me, I grew up in an alcoholic home and I think it's important that I'm going to try and talk about it in a general way because I, I don't, I don't think that details are necessary when telling a story. And I, I, the details that I share are basically the ones that um, got in the way of me getting sober in the first place or um, that stopped me from working on a relationship with God. Um, so the parts that I do share, and I like to give that disclaimer, at least when I came into the rooms, I was very much so like, I mean, before I was ready to get sober, I would hone in on details of people's story and be like, nah, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't yeah. have multiple DUIs. And so, yeah, for me, I grew up in an alcoholic home and you know, it was just very confusing because I knew that my parents loved me. Like I know that. But then on the other hand of that, it was like their behaviors weren't really lining up with that idea. And so I found myself confused a lot and I didn't really have people I could turn to, to kind of navigate and talk about those experiences. And I don't think it was ever outwardly said, but it was implied that like what happens here is not something that we're going to talk about outside of this environment. So right from the jump, I kind of like live this double life of like, okay, it's chaotic and crazy here. And, um, you know, I was I felt like I was left alone a lot. I was treated like an adult in the home. I, I kind of have this idea of, you know, I feel like I miss out on the joy of a lot of childhood experiences because there was this like underlying tone of, uh, yeah, I didn't feel safe a lot. I didn't feel safe. And so. Did you have uh, uh, siblings? I didn't. I have a young, so I have, I have three siblings. Um, I have two half brothers. One actually passed this year and then I have a full blood, uh, sister and we grew up in the same home. And so I was the oldest, I was the oldest in the home and I was very protective of my sister. And so the dynamic that we had is her and I have completely, completely different personalities. Um, but the stuff that we've had to walk through together, there's that bond that's just unbreakable. And so did did um, you kind of find yourself parenting her? Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And I think that I showed up in the like nurturing aspect. Mm. And so when stuff was like super crazy and we were both like super freaked out, it would be, uh, you know, an opportunity for me to go and just like hold her and we could cry together. I let her cry on me, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like I lived a double life from the jump. So there was this complete split between, you know, how I was showing up and presenting in the world and what was actually going on internally. And so when I would go to school, you know, I was really good at pretending that everything was okay. Did, were there times um, you had to directly lie? Like people... When I got... About when like, I got older. Yeah, oh, okay, in okay. school. Yeah. So I, I, you know, growing up, it was bad. I would say that it got worse in my home when I was in high school. And that's when I started, um, you know, there were days that I couldn't go to school. There was a time where I, I stayed at my best friend's house. She came from a more like very wholesome and Catholic um, family and they took me in and I stayed in her sister's room who had gone to college. Um, there were times that I was like missing assignments and that I would have to, you know, I think my mom actually called the school and explained a little bit what was going on. And so they kind of gave me leeway around, um, you know, missing assignments and not getting stuff in on time, which was, uh, great because, you know, at that point I would, I was, I was not doing well in a lot of my classes because I wasn't turning stuff in and, and doing it. So the older that I got, it was harder to hide. Um, I was also very active in sports. And so, you know, what started happening is that um, the alcoholic in our home would show up to like sporting events. And, um, 
you know, it just kind of what was going on in the home just started, you know, spiraling out of control and people started to see and notice. And so it was no longer something that I could really lie about anymore. And to be honest, I was so angry at that point that I didn't really feel like lying. Right. Uh, so, what, what yeah. Were, what were your early opinions of alcohol then? Um, well, I noticed a couple things about it. So I noticed that when the alcoholic in my home drank, there was like this like sweet spot. So between like drink yeah. two and maybe three and a half, four, it was like, the best time in the world. This person was like super happy and loving. And then after that point, it was time to kind of go to bed. And before that point, it's like, let them do their own thing before I even start trying to interact with this person. Um, I also noticed that I much prefer the person drinking than not drinking because when they weren't oh, wow. drinking, really, really, really angry, irritated, everything that I was doing in the world was really annoying. Um, I mean, it could be simple, like there could be like a dish in the sink or something, you know, on any given day, it would not be a big deal. But on those moments where the person was just so uncomfortable, like me having a dish in the sink and not putting it away now became like a World War Three. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of I didn't it was just kind of a toss up. Like, I don't know what today is going to feel like in my home. Am I going to walk on eggshells? Or is it going to be like cool and super fun? So it's okay. chaotic. So keep going. So you're in, we're getting closer to high school now. So like, did you start, what were the early, was sports your early coping mechanisms? Like how did, where did the stress go? So I, it was, I was a really big nerd as well. So let me just what? point out. What? Yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I still am. Yeah. Uh, Devesh and I were just watching the Simpsons before this and he's like, you're Lisa Simpson and I'm a hundred percent Bart. And I'm like, I could totally hey, see that. Yeah. yeah. So I wishes he was Bart. Whatever, dude. He's, he's Millhouse. I know, we watched a scene after where Bart's like this. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I was just like, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, I channel. You know, I love learning, and I still love learning. And so probably the first outlet for me was uh, were books, and I loved advent adventure stories. And I created this like little nook in my closet that allowed me to kind of escape from everything and go in there and read. And I loved that because it took me out of what I was doing. Um, or what was going on around me. So, you know, s sports were, you know, I was athletic. I mean, I was good at sports naturally. And so that was kind of something that I also did to channel it out. I mean, I played everything. I mean, it, I think it started with me doing like track and field and then I played soccer, basketball, lacrosse, field hockey. I mean, I played a lot of different things. Um, so I think that most of the anger that was like pent up, like came out in sports, but my biggest way of escape was, uh, reading. And I knew that education for me was going to be the ticket out of the home that I grew up in. And so it was really, really important for me to apply to school. You know, I wanted to go back down south. So my dad's from New Orleans, my mom's from DC, but she went to Tulane. So for a big part of her life, she was in New Orleans and we would visit there all the time growing up. And I wanted to go back down south. It was really important to me. And so I knew education was going to be the thing to do that. And then somehow, though, you shot, you shot for New Orleans, but you landed in Auburn. I did. I landed in Actually, Alabama. Listen, I, I, I had, I had, well, not grown up, but when I moved to Louisiana, I was just like trained to talk shit on Auburn. But then me and my buddy Thomas, um, he knew someone up there, and we just like uh, it was my buddy from rehab, and we took like a home pass with him to Auburn, and I was like, this place is awesome. <laughs> like that campus is really sweet. Yeah, I loved Auburn. I mean, it, so I 
Well, let me back up a little bit. My drinking, so the first time I actually tried alcohol was in my grandparents' home in New Orleans. We were visiting, and I, I had to like eight or nine. Oh, okay. And, you know, they had gone to bed early, passed out early, whatever, and they left all the alcohol on the table. And I am totally the type of person that I have so much anxiety being around uh, people that I usually – I like to practice stuff on my own before I go out in, like, a public forum. And so I saw alcohol there, and I'm like, oh, this is my opportunity to try it. No one's around. I get to be really in control of this experience without all the outside factors. And I tried it, and I loved it. I had a big really? – Yeah. you I mean, remember it what it was? Terrible. I remember it being brown. That's what <laughs> I remember. It was brown. <laughs> so it was like liquor. I imagine probably whiskey. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's probably whiskey. Eight or nine – and I you, didn't get hammered or anything. It just, wasn't like I caught that sweet buzz. Yeah. Nice. And I had a huge, it was warm. It was like, oh my gosh, I feel, I was just really, really happy. And I think, you know, for me, like there's that controversy sometimes if someone's like, oh, are you born an alcoholic or do you develop into one? I think for me, you know, I was probably born one just from my, some of my first drinking experiences. I immediately felt fucking normal yeah. and I felt you know, I felt present and it was just like that missing puzzle piece just like found its way into the puzzle and now everything's complete and I have the answer to the world. So, yeah, so that was my first drinking experience. I didn't revisit that until high school. And basically what my drinking in high school looked like binge drinking on the weekends. And I really felt like, you know, I had arrived because I was doing really well in school. I was doing really well in athletics, but I could party you know, crazy and still be able to manage everything. And, um, yeah, so I binge drink on the weekends and that's what that looked like. And I was also, what was a little surprising is that I could drink high amounts. Um, and I've always been really tiny. You mean, I mean, in high school I was smaller than I am now, you know? And so I could still handle high amounts of alcohol, even for my size, which was a little surprising, alarming, but I thought it was a scale. Yeah. It's, it's, the giant checkbox for alcoholism for sure yeah oh yeah. yeah i thought i was so cool i'm like you know i am better than everybody in this fucking room like look at me yep. an attitude that's so, yeah yep. so yeah i mean and i didn't really i didn't really dabble with any drugs until i got to college i mean i w it was like weed and but it was hard because we got drug tested. So I didn't, you know, I didn't really mess with anything. And I was honestly kind of scared. I didn't like the idea of once I put a pill on my body or something like I just I didn't know what that was going to look like because I always wanted to drink and I didn't know what the I just didn't like that. I wasn't going to be in control of it. I mean, that clearly changes when I get to college. But that was kind of like yeah. my mentality. But and yeah, my 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 early uses was kind of <laughs> dictated by uh ease of ability to get caught so like we would go to um we would go to shows at bars and stuff when i was younger like wait you know like uh 14 to 17 and so my mom would always smell our breath when we came home so like alcohol was just immediately usually off the table just because it was just too easy to get caught yeah well you know my parents just they just didn't really care like so yeah. You know, and this and the story is a little different for my sister because I was on the surface managing life really well. And so they were kind of like, whatever, you know, like go drink. So they just didn't ask any questions. I was never in a position where it was like I come. They're like waiting up for me and I come home and they're like 
drill sergeants, like, where are you at? I mean, like, that never really happened. It was just kind of like, hey, I'm going over here, and I'll see you tomorrow morning. And I would show up hungover and just go right to my room and stay for, like, four hours and then come down. And it was just kind of like, we're not going to – they're not going to go there with me. Did you ever drink with them? Um, it was <laughs> – what comes to mind is there is this experience right before I went to college and I had been drinking for years up to the point of this conversation. And my parents were like, we're at dinner and they're like, okay, we have a, we have something serious to bring up. And I'm like, uh, what, you know, like, what? And they're like, well, we want to make sure you can handle your liquor. So we were wondering if you wanted to like drink with us. And I was like, no, what? Well, no, I don't want to do that at all. It makes me itchy. Even now I feel like itchy thinking about it. Um, but it was one of those things that was hard because, um, you know, we didn't talk about my drinking throughout high school and we didn't really talk about uh, the alcoholics drinking either. Mm. And it was kind of like this big elephant in the room. And I was not, you know, I was not comfortable with that idea because it's a wild card, you know, and I don't want to find myself in a position where I'm drinking and it gets crazy with my parents. Did you gain understanding the farther you went into drinking? Were you kind of like, Oh, I get them now. Or was, Oh no, no, not at all. It, no, it was totally like, um, I, I can handle this. Like, oh, I yeah. gotta maintain this. This is like really, really, uh, so it made you indignant. It, yeah. And, and I had this idea. It's like, I'm, I'm so smart that I'm not going to make the decision to be a fucking alcoholic. Genius. These people Genius. just don't need it. Like, don't know how to handle their business. Like, they don't know how to keep their emotions in check. They don't know how to have a conversation. And, like, that's how they cope with stuff. And, you know, I was doing the same shit, but I couldn't see it, you know? Yep. Yep. Classic. So, yeah. So the idea of drinking with my parents just sounded rough. And, you know, and the other thing, too, is, like, I was, I was a third adult in the home. So I had a lot of adult conversations with my parents that I should not have, you know, that – you know, as a child having to kind of stay in the middle and like mediate things or like try and talk them through things that like, I just had this idea, well, if we're all drinking together, this is going to turn into like some heart to heart thing where I'll have to be in the middle of these really uncomfortable emotions. And I'm not really comfortable with like talking about this content. So yeah, no, I was totally not into it to answer your question a long way. Okay. So, um, college now, yeah, so college, um, college, I, so it was interesting because colleges down south start so much earlier than colleges uh, up north. And so I, I, it was also explained to me how important sororities were. <clears throat> Who explained and, that to you? Um, well, Jennifer? it's a tradition, it's a tradition with the women in my family, uh, oh, okay. my dad's side. so they were very much so like, you have to be in a sorority, like, or, you know, that they were just like really, really reinforcing it. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just do that. But, you know, Rush started way earlier than school. We had to be there like a few weeks early. So I left my friends in Delaware like a month and a half freaking early, which was kind of sad. I missed out on the last part of summer and got started rushing, uh, rushing sororities. Well, and, and just a quick, uh, side note for forecasting question. Has being yeah. in a sorority helped you in any way outside of college? Uh, no. Okay. No. 
Absolutely not. No. All right, continue. It caused so much anxiety. <laughs> it like I feel like it pushed me closer and closer to alcohol. If anything, isn't that um, the whole point though? It's like supposed to. There, it's like join this so you can be in this sisterhood for life and you'll get better jobs or something. Like, what's the what's the deal? Why? It's probably like the sense of like sisterhood and fellowship. And to be fair, like I I feel like there were some long term bonds that women made. In that, they're like, I wasn't a part of that group. Okay, like, I, I got you. Like I was this alcoholic druggie doing my own thing, part of this, like, you know, on the outskirts of this, like, group. But I think that, you know, it was meaningful for them. It's just I I didn't get it. You yeah, know? that's <laughs> true. And, and I'm speaking from an extremely bitter uh, point of view where I was – my fraternity was my rehab brother. So I guess I can actually exactly see how – yeah, it's just a, a – close-knit group of friends they just had more things in common you know these are a lot of these were like very southern women who had um you know they just had values in life that i didn't really have and so i just i felt like we didn't have much in common other than that we were women with the same greek letters on and and you know and to be honest i didn't really take the time to know them either um, if I'm being completely honest. And I think a lot of that had to just do with the fact that my alcoholism was progressing. Um, yeah. so, you know, I, I got down there. That was the most, you know, when I, the first time I did rush, I was completely sober and it was terrifying. Um, cause down South sororities are, I mean, I think they're big on a lot of college campuses, but, um, it was like a big deal. I mean, I think that there was like maybe like 800 women that rushed. And so, yeah, it was just – I don't really want to spend too much time on it. It was just like a boring, long process that uh, I felt like I was being judged at every minute and moment of that experience, which, you know, being on the other side of it once I got in the sorority, that's exactly what was happening, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> so um, – but yeah, so the I think the biggest turning point in uh, my drinking is when I found Adderall. Mm. Um, and I was – you know, I was – my freshman year, I didn't take any because I was just like, again, with like this pill thing, like, I don't want to put that in my body because now I can't get it out. With alcohol, I was like, I can throw it up if yeah, it's too much. So, like, I can puke I and rally. logic, yeah. Yeah, puke and rally totally. and get over that. But like, the pill was kind of like, oh, once this dissolves, it's like a thing. So I'm not sure. But my sophomore year, I, I, uh, was the first time I tried Adderall and that was like, game changer i mean yep. i it's like that movie limitless where yeah. Yeah. uh you access all i was just like this is great and it also canceled out the set of effects of alcohol yep. which allowed me to be drunk all day and um yeah and and so that basically you know press fast forward a couple of years i mean what it looked like was me um 85 pounds uh in a terrible relationship that ended up uh, dissolving, uh, losing all my friendships. Um, I was interning at the time. I worked at a juvenile delinquent facility. I was I was doing research there. And what? were you yeah. going there drunk? Uh, yeah, I was. Yep, <laughs> completely like loaded out of my mind. Because then I also found opiates. You know, I had uh, I had a health condition that allowed me to go to the doctor and very easily get opiates. Um, and so it was like a combination of the three. And then, oh. you know, I had a working out addiction on top of that, which, you know, take a bunch of opiates, go work out. I can work out forever because I don't feel the pain of anything. Right. Uh, so I'm 
out of control, losing my mind, and then showing up. And one of the things uh, that I had to administer was the uh, SASE, so the substance abuse like assessment for adolescents and you know the questions on there like how much you know do you have experience with drinking how much and I'm like telling these kids it's fine dude like I don't care if you do like we all do you know like totally inappropriate <laughs> um and it's not like the 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 prison that it was this is not this was not a um this was like a what's the word high Okay, so kids were there for, like, sex offenses and murder and, like, I mean, oh, yeah. prison. So this is not – so I'm walking around loaded out of my mind. A tiny girl on this campus, terrible idea. This is high risk. Yeah, high, high security, risk, high, high risk. risk situation. And <laughs> I'm just, just like, imagining – that's so funny. This, Those kids must have just been, like, jackpot, dude. Like, I can't wait until Tuesdays when hot loaded lady comes, like, yeah, tell me about yeah. drugs. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, it was crazy. And what was really crazy is that I was so doing research. It was I was an undergraduate, but I was helping graduate students with their research. So when they got to present, I could go with them, which meant that I was traveling the country, doing presentations loaded out of my mind. And I would sit down, and they'd be like, "Oh my god, you did so well!" And I'm like, "Really?" Because so you, I so you were high shit. functioning then. Yes. Yes, I was. I mean, and I think the scariest thing, too, was um, so there was a it was getting really worse. The relationship, the long term relationship that I had been in ended. And when that ended, um, you know, I didn't have anyone to be accountable to, which looked like me just, um, you know, using all the time. I mean, I was already doing that, but I didn't have to hide anymore. And so I you know, there was this moment where I came to in my room in my apartment and I was like, oh my God, I missed all my finals. I missed all of them. I've been here for days doing nothing. And then I go online and I look and I had gotten an A on all of them. So you had taken them in a that I had shown Yes. Good. See, and that's it was not like, fair. There are, there are hundreds of people listening right now that hate you because it's like, I know. I could never do I, that. I was like, yeah, I showed up and I was like, oh my God. And it was, you know, part of me was like, oh, wow, that's cool. I can't believe you pulled that off. But the other part was like, that's terrifying. Like how many times does that actually happen? Like, I don't know anymore. Yeah. And like who, who, that, that's, that's my, uh, my favorite and scariest, uh, question is like, who is driving the car during blackouts? That's so weird. Oh, me it's for so sure. Weird. And I had gotten pulled over a bunch of times. I mean, I say a bunch, probably about three or four times by cops. But because I, I look like a nerd and I had a bunch of school books and it was always broad daylight. It was always like 11 a.m. Yeah. So you got the, the reasonable doubt of like, surely, surely they're not this high at yeah. 1030 a.m. Yeah. Like this person's swerving. And so when they pull me over, they're like, what's, you know, we were swerving and I would just start crying and I'm like, I know I'm just so stressed out from school. I'm going through a breakup. I'm just really trying to get home. And it would be like, uh, you know, they'd be like, all right, like get away from me. You know? like, Sorry, uh, I'm trying to finish war and peace while I'm driving. Yeah. Yeah. So I got off with it. So I, yeah. And it was interesting too, because that was the year that Cam Newton actually came um, back to school after he went pro and he was in my major, which, you know, he, so he sat next to me during that class. So like, I don't know if he remembers, but Cam Newton, if you're out there, I am that loaded girl. That was crazy that you copied off of. So they he did, he did mention something about that in the, uh, NFL, uh, press junket last night. 
Oh, okay, cool. Okay, yeah. cool. So, so, so that was you. That was yeah, you. Okay. Was yeah, serendipitous <laughs> moment. Cool. So yeah, and uh, so that semester I went home and I was like, okay, I have to tell my parents that something's going on. I know that I'm scared to tell them. I, I have to revisit. I have like, I have a problem and I get home and you know, at this point I thought the alcoholic in our home had been sober cause he, you know, he had gone to AA, had done the whole thing. I get there and the bomb, you know, they're like, we have something to talk to you about. And I'm like, okay, y'all go first. And they're like, well, you know, he's drinking again and you're going to be living with us. And I just completely like shelled up and was like, no. And then, you know, I had gotten a letter from Auburn to their house and they had moved back to new Orleans at this time. So they were in new Orleans and it was like, congratulations, you made Dean's list. And my, you know, my parents were like, Oh my God, like either you're so successful or so proud of you. And I wanted to die. Because I was like, this is what I'm striving for. Like this, like I hate myself. Like I want to kill myself. I'm like a dark, I'm a shell of a human being. I, you know, I was praying that I would get hit by a car all the time because I didn't really have the courage to take my, my own life. And so I was just hoping, hoping that some accident would happen. And, you know, it was devastating. I ended up ODing that night. Um, and uh, I had found, I had been off Adderall for a minute and the opiates and I found they were living in my grandfather's house and I found his, it was like old narcolepsy pills and I don't even remember what it was. And I just saw that it was amphetamine when I Googled it and I was like, great pop, you know? And I was like, oh, that, you know, this, this shit's old. So let me just take more. Well, I ended up taking a whole bottle and like hours later, all of the effects coming at once. And I like, I was losing my vision. I was getting hives. I was shaking. And I had to like go out. I'm like, all right, parents, like take me to the hospital right now. And they're like, no, it's probably just like alcohol DTs. I'm like, no, I took a shit ton of pills. You have to take me to the hospital. I'm going to lose consciousness. And um, so we got over there and, you know, the, that was my first experience of, uh, of going to outpatient treatment. So I had to stay in the hospital cause they had me on suicide watch. They thought it was a suicide attempt. And, um, you know, and I don't know what was coming out of my mouth. So it could have been, you know, I don't know. Um, but I do remember that, um, cause there's a part in the book that talks about this. Um, you know, if an alcoholic is confronted basically about drinking, they can act a number of one, of any different ways, which is like, you know, angry and indignant, laugh it off. But if they're really honest in their heart, they like, they don't know why they do that. And there was this male nurse and I was sitting there, they had me like hooked up and he walked in and he was like, can I ask you a question? I'm like, I mean, sure. He's like, don't you go to like a big university and like, aren't you doing like big things? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, then what, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I don't know. You know, and that was the first time I was really like, I, I have no idea. But I mean, that quickly changed because the next day, the psychiatrist walked in and was trying to convince me that I had to go inpatient. And it was a woman that was, I didn't like the way she was dressed in a psych, in yeah. a wing. And so she walked in like, you know, all sassy, like, you, you're going to die. You need to get over there. Like, I'm like, look, bimbo, like, get the fuck out of my face, you know? And it was like total 180 from how I was the day before. And so I started going to outpatient, wasn't into the to the um, 12-step stuff at all. And uh, I really had to come to terms with this idea of God that I wasn't ready to reconcile with. And I think it's worth, worth mentioning, too, that for me, I always... 
I was not an atheist. I was never an atheist. I always, you know, when I was younger, I had a spiritual connection to something. Um, and it was important to me to spend time with that. No one else in my family is like that, but we went to, I went to Catholic school and I was, you know, raised in an Irish Catholic family. It was more of a way to like appease my grandmother. But, um, yeah, like I just, I didn't, sitting in a pew, I didn't necessarily like agree with all the interpretations, but I could totally get down with like having a loving relationship with something outside of ourselves. And I just like to show up and participate in creative ways. So they had like tryouts for liturgical dancers, which is basically like this liturgical dancers. (laughs) Yes. Which is basically this, you dress, you have this little pink gown on and you have this ribbon and you walk up and down the aisles with the ribbon. And like, that's how I wanted to participate. And I'm like, I'm an angel. Like, this is great. I'll be a liturgical dancer for God. This is awesome. And, you know, gardening too. And there were those moments where, you know, I would, you know, things would be so overwhelming and I'd be crying, like crying myself to sleep. And then it would be, you know, this like sense of ease and comfort would come across me and it would be my own thought, but it would say like, everything happens for a reason. You'll be okay. And, but with that came this like sense of ease and comfort and I would be able to calm down. And I truly believe that. And that never left me, you know, like what basically happened for me is that my drinking, um, you know, started because I had so much hatred and bitterness in my heart towards like non-acceptance of things around me and, and having no control over things that I just had like a black heart that just like started spreading all over. Um, and so my issues of coming back to the 12 step program was really coming to terms with feeling very abandoned by God and feeling like, um, you know, a part of me also felt like I let God down because I was, I had spent, you know, I got sober at 22. So basically from 16 to 22, it progressed really quickly. And during that time frame, it's like, you know, I didn't even work on a spiritual connection. And so long story short, I had a profound spiritual experience that happened. Um, I went to outpatient, I ended up drinking again, relapsing within like two days, I was exactly where I left off. And within a week, it was way worse off. And I was only I mean, I was drinking so much. Um, you know, drugs weren't even at the picture at this point, this relapse was alcohol alone, it was the scariest, it was one of the scariest things that I had ever done. And Uh, I remember I I had driven in like a blackout back from New Orleans to Auburn and I had, you know, stolen a bunch of stuff from my family. And I was like, you know, I don't even know what my plan was because I knew I couldn't function in school at that point. And I was laying in my room and this was like the point where I had to have, I would go into withdrawals within like two hours, you know, like very rapidly. And so I'd always have to have alcohol by me. And I was that girl that would show up to the liquor store at like six in the morning shaking, trying to buy alcohol. And when they like, you know, they didn't even ask for my ID anymore because I was there every day because I was shaking so much. I couldn't even get it out. I have to throw my wallet on the counter. And, um, you know, it was I was laying in bed and I was like, honestly, if I were to die right now, like who's going to find me? No one is going to find me. And it was scary. And I thought I had never been scared of death before. Because again, a lot of my wishing was I wish I could just die already, you know, and me not have to uh, take my own life. I just want to die. And so I didn't think I was scared. But in that moment, there was something so dark and so heavy in the room. It was terrifying to me. And it was like across the room, I just felt like there was this dark, dark, like demonic presence. 
And that was the first time I started like praying where I was like, oh my God, because I felt like if I was going to die, I was going to go with that thing. And that was scary to me. And so I started praying and, you know, like that force that comes, you know, when you take like two magnets and you go like that and you feel that that started to come above me um, enough. So where I was able to like leave the room and go outside and this was football season in the SEC. So... You know, everybody had, there were empty tailgates all over my apartment complex, but everybody had already gone to the game. So, you know, I'm outside trying to light a cigarette, trying to, you know, like, we're not talking about a physical death, like we're talking about a spiritual death. And that, that shit, it was so overwhelming that I was like, I can't even, who am I going to even tell about this? Like, everyone's good. No one's going to believe me. I don't even know what's going on. I just like, what do I do? And there was this man across from me, he was like grilling And I was like, you know, I like noticed him in my peripheral and I was just, I ignored him. I'm like, I can't even deal with him. Well, he started walking towards me and I was just like, oh my God, like someone's trying to talk to me right now. And he looks at me and he says, uh, do you know you have darkness following you? And I was like, yes, yes, you know, I'm crying. And he's like, well, I'm a pastor and I can see these things and we need to sit here and pray. And so, you know, and we sat there and he held me and we said, uh, he said a prayer and, uh, I basically just told him that I was an alcoholic and a drug addict and that I was fucking going to die. And I don't know from that point how much time went by between like my mom ended up showing up to my apartment. She drove to come get me. You know, later on, she told me that she was expecting to find a dead body there because she had been trying to reach me and um, she had planned my funeral and all this stuff. And so she shows up and I end up in Lafayette at, you know, at the psych ward (laughs) because I shared that experience. And uh, I showed up at the psych ward and my detox took about three weeks. I was at Vermilion for two I was up for a million for two and a half weeks and then I had to detox from the benzos once I got to uh, inpatient treatment. Um, And I was totally ready this time. You know, I I was ready to have a spiritual connection. You know, when I was at the psych ward, they put me on the lower functioning side because they're like, you're nuts, you know. And they paired me with this woman who – she was there, I think, for schizophrenia and wasn't on her meds. So she was there for, like, getting back on her meds and – um, as this little black woman and, you know, we're in, we're in the South and she was like, I can trust you. You're a white girl. I can trust. And I'm like, well, why, why? <laughs> like, and she's like, well, she's like, cause you have blue all around you. Don't you know you're protected by angels? She's like, I can always trust you. And I was like, whoa. Cause that's how I felt when I walked into that, you know, as crazy as I was, I, it felt different and I felt a very strong spiritual presence around me. And that stayed yeah, with me. Gnarly. Yeah. And that stayed with me. So yeah. And then I ended up getting a sponsor and doing the deal. Well, that's, well, that's a good, um, segue to, to the other reason we brought you on is your, your new venture. Oh yeah. My new adventure. This is yes. a, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Um, I'm yes. a master of segues. So, yeah, it was a pretty good segue and an important one. I So, yeah, I mean, so part of my new adventure was kind of a reaction of uh, working the treatment center field for about three years. And I was a counselor. Um, I was a counselor in treatment when we moved out here in Oregon. And um, 
which I, I loved that job and I hated that job. And a big part of why I hated that job is because I felt like I was bogged down all of the time. And I felt, um, how so? I did, like, I didn't know how to balance. Um, well, you know, it was, a. Uh, cause so I, I can relate. That's why I'm wondering how your, uh, your experience with that. So I'm trying to come up with a way to tactfully explain this. Um, uh, so two reasons. One, I didn't know how to take care of myself like outside of that job. Um, I didn't know I didn't know how to genuinely practice like self-care because what I was doing was more avoidant things and I wasn't actually taking care of all of the internal stuff. I would just like come home and like mindlessly watch TV, which was is not self-care to me. Um, but that's what I would do. So I didn't know how to do that. And I also didn't know how to, you know, it's a chaotic job. I mean, I'm, you know, all of my clients are have their own issues and it's my job to kind of help them navigate and I can't help but take some of it on when I don't want to. And then, you know, the treatment center I was working for did, you know, didn't have boundaries. And so, you know, yeah. when I was coming home, I would still have to take calls about clients. I would on the weekends I would still oh, no. Have no, no, no. So it was like my life was that job and it ended up being having so many clients on my case. It doesn't matter. I ended up leaving that job a year ago in the last year. Um, I was again, kind of like the same experience of when I moved here was in my depression episode, I was left with myself. And when I was left with myself, I realized how much I needed to work on, you know, like there's a lot of stuff going on with my family at the time. So I had a lot of trips back and forth from, you know, from here to Louisiana that was upsetting every single time I went for different reasons. And really to sum it up, I realized how much I lacked confidence in myself and how much self-love I did not have. And I also was struggling with self-forgiveness towards a lot of things. And, and this is just because I think it's important and helpful to people. And, and like, this is how many years into sobriety? Oh, this is five years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. At the time it was four. I turned five in September. Hey. Yeah. Wait, hey, September hey. what? Are we? 13th. Oh, okay. I'm the 23rd. Okay. Yeah. 13th. Yeah. I think, I think when we had the same home group, no, maybe we didn't talk on the same month. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, but yeah, so I had to, this past year, I kind of took like uh, a lot of hard lefts in a completely different direction. Um, I took a job that I got to work with roses and gardening, which allowed me to have a form a new connection with God. Um, and I really got to work on healing myself in a very authentic and real way. Um, and what came out of that basically was, um, starting my own business, which is spiritual coaching and Reiki. And for those of you who do not know what Reiki is, it is uh, a Japanese form of energy healing. So it's, it's not, um, collecting leaves into piles. I was, I, I thought that's what. Oh, yeah, no, not that. God. Um, no, so I, you know, over the summer, I had an opportunity where I met a Reiki master out here that I really trust. I have a hard time, um, you know, I was going to say I have trust issues, but we all do. Um, yeah. But especially when it comes to the spiritual realm and spiritual line of work, it's I, there are so many false prophets out there that it was really hard for me to find somebody to do that type of work that I trusted um, at a spiritual, mental, emotional, physical level. Um, because I've had experience of working with, um, 
you know, initially working with people doing like energy type work and then halfway in the process realizing that this is not, this is not healthy. And so I've gotten burned in the past. And so part of my work of, um, becoming a Reiki master was finding somebody that I, that I trusted to teach me. And, you know, I crossed their path this summer, which was really awesome. But with that came through a whole purging process of, you know, anytime you do energy work, it almost like energetically charges you at a like higher level, which means that your body, mind, spirit, everything has to catch up to that point, which means you shed layers that are no longer serving you. And that was like, you know, necessary, but, uh, I'm thankful that I had the relationship with God that I do to be able to walk through that with grace. So yeah, basically what I'm doing now is, uh, spiritual coaching and Reiki. Uh, my favorite thing to do is doing a combination of the two. Um, because a lot of times when I send somebody Reiki or I give them Reiki, I also like almost like download information about things that may be helpful for them to implement. So, um, you know, like a lot of times with clients, it may talk about like an example might be like a specific type of medication, uh, medication, meditation, <laughs> uh, or, you know, different type of, um, spiritual books may come down that may help them. And so anytime so, so you make a spiritual prescription, basically, basically, or, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah. Plan of action. Uh, I can't think of the word. Yeah. Prescription works, but yeah. So yeah. individualized treatment basically for people that like all encompasses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's important too, because I know for me, I tend to, uh, it's almost like I feel like God has cross trained me across, uh, across different types of spiritual disciplines. And so I'm, you know, I'm well trained across different types of spirituality and I don't think it's, you know, for a long time, I think I judged myself for that because it was kind of like, I just want to get my hands in everything, you know, and I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, stick with one thing. But I realized that, n- no, I mean, I'm cross-trained across different things because I am I can help people in different ways because I may have somebody sitting in front of me that identifies as a, a Christian and they want spiritual help and developing that that type of relationship versus somebody who's more pagan. And I mean, and the reality is that I, I have experience with both. And so yeah. helping them, um, I think that it was important for me to have experiences with all those different things so I could be more useful. And what's really interesting about maybe six months into my job and the counselor out here, um, I was running a group on maybe it was like looking at dreams or what you want to do with your life or something like that. Anyway, someone, I had a client look at me and that was like, well, what is your dream job? Like, what is your dream? Cause they're like, we know it's not this. And I was like, <laughs> that's not true. You know, yeah. like, okay. All right. If I'm real, what is my dream job? I said, my dream is to like, be able to come up with like spiritual treatment plans. Almost like, that's what I was I, looking for. Yeah. Almost like this idea of, like in Star Wars, like having a Jedi school. And when the, they come in, you evaluate what they're best at. And those are the types of classes that you put them in, you know, to develop those specific skills. I was like, that is my dream when it comes to like spirituality. And so the really cool thing is like, that's literally what I'm doing now. Very cool. Well, so yeah. what's, um, what's it called? Where can they find it? Uh, you have yeah. a website now, don't you? I do have a website. Yeah. I sent yeah. it to you, Jed. I can tell that you checked it out. Uh, no, I did, but you got to tell people too. They can't read the email that you sent I me. Know, I know. So it's uh, <laughs> thecreativeluminary.com. 
Uh, and there's also, an, you know, my emails info at thecreativeluminary.com. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook as well. And I say we because I have an amazing uh, social media manager. I love her. She's a really good friend of mine that um, I am not, when it comes to technology and marketing myself, I really struggle with that piece because it just, it doesn't hit my radar. You know, like I, I yeah. forget that I have to do it. And so anytime, you know, making the website, the lady that I was meeting with to make the website, she's like, you need to make a social media presence. I would cringe. I'm just like, Oh, I don't want to do that. And I'd want to give up. And there was this moment of, I said a prayer of like, please give me the courage and strength or the willingness to like take on this social media venture. And I took a shower when I got out, I had my friend text me like, Hey, I want to be in charge of all your social media stuff. Oh, and I wow. Oh my God. So I say and, we because she's been a big part of that process as well. And so you're, you're not limited by geography, right? So you can do Correct. things. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. And the cool thing about Reiki is, you know, it can be done in person and it can also be set distance. And basically what that looks like is me sending it when I'm in, in meditation and, um, taking, uh, you know, I take clients, I could take it via Skype or Zoom. Um, and then Reiki, you know, conversations about debriefing that can also be taken over the phone. So distance is is not a barrier. Awesome. Well, Maddie, you, you did it. You, you, you successfully did it. I know I successfully <laughs> did it. I was nervous. I know you did great. Well, um, everybody, please uh, check out Creative Luminary. Um, and thank you, Maddie. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. You're great. You're the best. Bye. The world can look distorted when peering through a rock's glass. Is it not the life you asked for? Join the club. What did you think of the, the interview? Well, I was taking a shower for half of it and then meditating, and I heard bits and pieces. So I didn't, I'm sure it was great. I think it was great, and um, I will listen to it later. Wow, you are really stonewalling your marriage chances. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh uh, I think that's a, that's like uh, page one, section A of the marriage handbook is perhaps you should listen to things involving your spouse. I will, Jed, and I'm sure it was great. Every time Maddie speaks, it's great. There so we sure go. All cool. right, uh, page two, section B, flattery. You're nailing it. Flattery, nailing recover, it. the bounce back. I dare say uh, hers was better than anything and everything you've ever done on this show. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, I take no offense to that. Yeah. Well, what else? Any anything else been cool happening in uh, Oregon? 
Um, it's been just really bad weather. We're back to uh, living in the upside down. Wait, it looks sunny though. What? Okay, damn it! <laughs> yeah, dude, what are you lying? I can see you, dude. <laughs> this is a very weird day. There's like a bluebird flying around your head. <laughs> It hasn't been like this. This is this has been nice. I've got my sad lamp out somewhere to prove. But uh no, this actually this is today today's been nice. Do y'all take vitamin D in the off season? I do. I haven't lately, but I do normally. Yeah. Yeah. I take it here. Yeah, yeah. It helps. It, it does helps. help. It does help. For some reason. Yeah. Well, not, not for some reason. That's <laughs> like <laughs> eating makes me feel full for some reason i don't for know some, there's some yeah. some mystery to it just have said science oh speaking of science man neil degrasse tyson going down son wait why what did he sexual did he do accusations sexual bro. accusations tyson, he is going down too. mr science man damn do you think the girl just had him confused with mike tyson <laughs> Uh, that's impossible. The, uh, the that's impossible. I broke my back. I'm... <laughs> no, uh, I think the first one was it was like a um, a woman accused him of drugging and raping her in college, and then like two more people have come out with something. Damn. Yep. Damn, yep, yep, scientist. Yep. <laughs> Science, man. That's going to lead his... so many memes. Oh, so many. His response, oh. his response was... Um, huh. Uh, you know, find you ten scientists and take that shit to court. Is that what he said? No, dude. I'm never. Strange times, man. I don't know what's real anymore. I know. That's what I'm saying. It wouldn't. Did you see? Did you see? Um, did you see Trump just walk off the stage at the G20 summit? That's the that was hilarious. Are you serious? He mic'd up. He just white. He, just he didn't walked. even. Well, no, he was still mic'd, and you can hear him say, "Get me out of here." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even. That's not even making. Like he's shaking hands with the Argentinian president, and then he just turns and walks away. And then you see like a a um an aide like run over and try to get him back and i guess one of them was mic'd up and you could if you turn up the volume you can hear him say get me out of here get me out of here <laughs> i don't have time for this <laughs> yeah we're we are living in the strangest strangest reality for sure <laughs> i want to shake hands with the australian president i want some blooming onions from outback <laughs> um yeah i guess that's it you got anything else well, you know, I was thinking, um, so back in the day, so let's, let's talk about psychology for a second. Oh, okay. So, right. so in the, you know, like in our, in our 12 step literature, it says something about the psyche and like spiritual experience and stuff. And I realized that like in that dictionary from that time in 1939, psyche actually means like of mind or spirit, you know? And then, like, and that, like, that original study of psychology was really big in spiritual study. And then it's taken this, like, nosedive, right, into just, like, heavy, heavy mental operations and stuff. And so I just think that it's, that it's interesting that even when we talk about, like, like, the psyche and the mind and stuff, that 
at one time we did include spirit in that and then like we moved so far away from that you know yeah it's it's people don't like non-quantifiable stuff i get because i was i was showing um some guys the uh hbo addictions documentary and it was uh this and this was from like 2007 and they were trying to um help this chronically relapsing uh crackhead crack Mm. addict um that's the scientific term crackhead oh yeah yeah um and they were basically like telling him like we got this we can find this medication to help your brain thing and i just i was just like Mm. i was like it just doesn't work that way it's not gonna work work that way like it's not gonna work that way i I, it's so limiting it's so limiting like i get what you're going for but like that's why he smokes crack is because he's he he has found his his uh medicinal solution like i don't think it's gonna you know I, i wish it did yeah, yeah, I wish it did. Well, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I wish it did. I don't know. Who knows what well, that would, like, change about me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you always ask that question, like, if you could take a pill and, you know, and, and, and drink or use drugs normally, like, would you? And it's like, you know what, I I, I mean, I honestly, I probably wouldn't because I, I like what I have today, man. I like not having to rely on something to make me feel okay, you know? Like, you know, I, I kind of enjoy that I'm, at least in most times, like, kind of forced to turn to God and one thing, oh, yeah. you know, like, like I don't really have an option, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at, nice. look at certain fabulously wealthy people that don't have to, and look how off base they get. That's right. That's right. Um, like Neil deGrasse Tyson. I mean, look what happens to science, <laughs> man. You go into the cosmos and you <laughs> think that, I mean, my my I I wrote a comment saying that like he, he should definitely frame his argument like I mean, look in a in a cold, uncalculating universe, um, energy cannot be created nor transferred. So how can one mass of carbon uh molest another? Like in in reality, your booty is my booty. Right? We are one and the same. The logic is flawless, you see. The logic is flawed. Neil deGrasse Tyson, yeah, mic drops. Get me out of here. Yeah, yeah just beam me up, Stephen Hawking. Beam me up, <laughs> So it's interesting, and I guess I'll, I get this is kind of a, so. I guess I'll close with this. Um, I'm doing a presentation today. We're doing something like it's called a program evaluation, and the, it's pretty much in so many words like the guys from Office Space that come in and kind of like yeah. Mess things around so not we're doing like naga, not gonna work, not, here, not anymore. Gonna work here anymore <laughs> so, so we're doing like we're doing like one on something called paid in full and it's really cool man it's a, a guy judge tom cole he had um he like was like into like drinking and stuff like that and i guess drugs i'm not sure but he had an experience with god he turned to christ and christianity and he and he found a solution in that way to his problems and there was another guy who was in angola and something happened to him he discovered god underneath a tree in prison kind of like buddha which is really dope and then he and he like and he started like professing God's word on the prison yard. And so they teamed up and he's created something to where they create programs of psychology where you get like an undergraduate degree and you get seminary degree in Angola. And then you go to different prisons 
Yeah, you go to different prisons and like carry that message, man. It's like really dope. Oh, that's awesome. And um, that's so awesome. So Judge Cole is trying to do this in Oregon, and it's just for a class. Like we're kind of helping him. I mean, whether he takes the help or not is, I mean, it may be useful. It may not be, but um, but it's totally self-supporting, and uh, I think it's really it's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, yeah paid in really full. Rad. I guess paid for. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me let me know about that. So I guess, that'd be cool. It'd be cool to talk to one of them too. Yeah, cool. I'm sure. Yeah, I could probably get him. I'm sure I can get him on here. And he's a uh, yeah. He's I mean he's he's a great person to talk to, man. He's a lot of awesome ideas and a lot of awesome experience. I think that would be that would be definitely cool sometime awesome. in the future. Well, uh, cool. send us an email at churchandotherdrugs at gmail dot com, patreon dot com slash churchandotherdrugs. We had a really good episode this week where Kenzie ruins the Bible. As per uh, Debesh's request, um, <laughs> I'm, we'll glad, I'm so glad y'all did that. Yeah, it was good. We'll uh, we'll see y'all next week.